0: I definitely thought, wouldn't it be great if I did a brand and it was sort of, it led to an understanding of stillness. So I guess that became an aim of the brand. On a physical level, you know, I really was clear on how I wanted the brand to to feel, which was quiet and still.
1: That's Shanna Bessem, one of my mentors, friends, and career's biggest influences. Shanna is the founder and creative director of the luxury namesake brand, Shanna Bessem. The brand originally came to market with eyewear and jewellery and continued to expand into new categories, but with one very important retail factor. The brand focuses on stillness. Through a very personal journey, Shanna came to find his creativity and expression, which directly flows into his brand and products, but there is no production calendar and no rush to reach the market. Shanna's ability to speak transparently and honestly about his experience sets a certain pace for both of us, and while it's less hyper than my other conversations, there is a very strong sense of calm in Shanna, and I put that down to him knowing exactly who he is. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Thomas, motion director and founder of production company, Cinema Tom. I can't wait to bring you into the world of my guests, some of Australia's most prolific creatives working in fashion, media, and design as we unpack their unique creative process. I hope you love this episode and it shifts something in you as it did me. Subscribe to Process the Podcast and leave a review. This is our fifth episode and I would love to hear what you think. Let's get started. <laughs> it's so funny because it's you. It. <laughs> ah, Shanna. So, how are you? How's your morning going?
0: I'm um, excellent. Uh, morning's going really well. Um, yeah, a couple of technical <laughs> difficulties, but <laughs> we've got over that now.
1: So, let's give um, our listeners some context of Shanna Bessem. How would you word what you now do?
0: Um, oh, well, I have the brand Shanna Bessem, and which I. Um, Am a creative director of, um, and I am across things apart from creative to, to marketing, to 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 business, to retail, to digital. Um, and I also still consult, which I enjoy. <laughs>
1: So Shanna Bessem um, started with sunglasses, and now you do jewellery as well. And so, would you call Shanna Bessem a accessories and lifestyle brand?
0: Um, I, I would just call it a luxury brand. Um, Beautiful. We, we, we're not limiting ourselves to what categories we would like to approach. Um, I think the the initial thought was to sort of probably be anti fashion in the sense of anti speed. Um, we, we just really felt that products and categories that reflected something a little more timeless and less disposable yeah. was certainly the feeling. I mean, I was feeling, yeah, you know, I was feeling all of that sort of, um, I guess I was feeling the sustainability piece probably back five years ago.
1: Absolutely. So we'll get into Shanabess and the brand, in a moment, but. Let's take our listeners through how you and I met.
0: Okay. Wow. That's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you were th- one of the top three sales professionals at Scanlon Theatre. <laughs> I was a general manager at Scanlon. Um, retail was one of my areas that I had to manage. And um, I was across most of staff, definitely in Melbourne anyway, um, in terms of face to face contact. And um, you were an extremely curious, Highly intelligent, highly involved young lady, impressive young lady and still are, RL. So I met, you <laughs> on the, I met you on the shop floor.
1: And I was 15. There you go. And I think that, it was legal? myself legal? and... <laughs> yes, it was, 14 and nine months, so yes, it is legal. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, and I think the angle was when I sat down with Mandy, who was the regional manager at the time, was that I... I was going to help sell formal dresses and like sort of bring down the, the demographic a little bit. <laughs> which is totally I mean, I look at that I look back at that time and I'm still such good friends with Jen Gubrick and Elkie Long and both those girls are now at Realisation Par, which is an incredibly successful online business. And I just laugh because I was such a grom. I couldn't even drink. The girls would go for after work drinks and I would literally sit there with a lemonade because I was illegal. <laughs>
0: No, way. define a grom. What's a grom?
1: Just a little grommet, just a little tuck up running around.
0: I don't think I don't think you were, but anyway, that's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we had that beautiful um, those moments where you would um, get us to go to Mecca and sort of um, learn the new season looks, and stuff ah, like. yeah, that's the so all the girls would be relevant. And they were like, you need three signs of makeup on the shop floor. <laughs> yeah, the Mecca relationship
0: was great, but that was all part of, um, I guess, curating how the brand presented at retail, which was great. And I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, that was another, another example of sort of high standards. Um, you being exposed to something of a high standard at a young age was good, I think.
1: I think you have no idea of the impact that you have made in my life.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> which
1: is why I'm so excited to have you on the pod because. Very kind. I think that I obviously I grew up in luxury uh, surrounded by my parents but actually seeing it implemented at the level that you did and seeing it from the back end and how it gets pushed out to the customer was an exquisite education that I don't think I could replicate anywhere else.
0: Yeah, well, are S- S- you know, Scanlon Theatre's a, a very, very um, educational vehicle for people that are part of it. It's, it's, it's seamless. It's perfectly run perfectly managed, um, it achieves high standards across many areas. So, God, it's it's a good one for young people, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I always say that anybody that wants to go out on their own with entrepreneurship, I always sort of advise interns or people coming out of high school just get straight into luxury customer service because <laughs> you'll never deal with people like you deal with them on the shop floor. That's
0: <laughs> br- that's brilliant advice. It really is. <laughs> Although cause, because it's sort of that was... That was my, I mean, I started working on the shop floor when I was young and that's probably where my, clearly I was naturally curious and engaging but I think that was brought out early on the piece which probably um, helped me in a lot of areas get my confidence.
1: So what was your childhood like?
0: Childhood was extremely happy, um, extremely family orientated, um, son of immigrant parents. Know, really busy working it out, um, a lot of family gatherings, uh, yeah, strong, strong sense of family, community, um, and you know, very simple values that I think uh, no, I know hold me in good stead. Um, but I was a happy kid, extremely sensitive, pretty curious, um, and massive daydreamer. Massive daydreamer.
1: <laughs> Where do you think that came from?
0: Where did it come from? Yeah. Oh, just I, I. when I think back I think, yeah, it's a mixture of creativity and ambition, I'm quite ambitious. Um, but, you know, we grew up sort of, you know, middle class and I always wanted, um, I was always in uh, curious about luxury, mm. uh, whether it was travel or product, but it just was probably a, a window to another world that I was really inspired by. So...
1: And what did your parents do when you were growing up? Uh,
0: my father was a shoemaker, so he was a, he was probably the introduction into um, good product. Um, and then he didn't practice it when he came to Australia, and he was just a main, he was in maintenance
1: right.
0: trades. And my mum's a pastry chef. Um, but She works for a catering. She worked for a catering company. She still works. Um, so work ethic wise, yep, yeah, got that from my parents. Um, but, yeah, product when I look back, my father had a massive influence into you know he was just m- big on made in Japan, made in Italy, um made in Germany, just any product we had to buy, he'd say, "We've got to buy it once, and it's got to last forever
1: wow um
0: and yeah it's it's funny how that you sort of remember these things as you're kind of making decisions for your own business and you're, and and creating your own product,
1: mm. Absolutely. So you obviously went to high school and then what happened? How did you end um,
0: High school, I went straight from high school. I studied fashion design and I enjoyed it but didn't think I was a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty low on confidence. I was intimidated by a lot of the higher end talent. Um, so then I did a commerce degree. Yeah. Um, and then I did a cadetship. Um, Did you? Yeah, I did a cadetship at Country Road. Um, And then I, after that, I travelled. Travelled around the world, lived overseas for a year and a half, um, worked in London, worked. So I worked for a bank and then I worked for Prada um, part-time and then I just thought, what am I doing? So then I worked for Prada full-time and then I was coming back for my sister's wedding um, and it was at the same time that um, Steve Bennett was launching George's department store Mm. and I caught up with him. I'd caught up with him overseas so I knew about it. So I touched base when I was home for my sister's wedding and um, one thing led to another then I I was the assistant buyer of menswear. Um, but it was only one store so we were all on the shop floor and I'm not sure if your age group remember it um, but it sort I of, know of it. Yeah, it was it was ahead of its time. It was an impeccable concept. Um, it just wasn't given enough time and didn't work. But in between whilst I was there I did meet Gary Theodore and we talked about moving over to Scanlon Theodore towards the end of my tenure. George's and then I yeah, the rest is history, I guess. George's didn't work, and I went to went to Scanlon and I was there for 17 years.
1: How long had Scanlon been around for before you joined?
0: Scanlon had been around for about 10 years, I think. So they started 87, I
1: was there, 97, 98. When did
0: Fiona exit? Fiona Scanlon, I had some great years with Fiona Scanlon. She exited oh two, oh three. I started working in 2007. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, she would, she was gone by then. So I worked for both of them at the start. And it was a more of a niche business. Um different to what it is today. Um, but it was great. I learned a lot. At every every 5 years I was the, the business was becoming, becoming something something different. So there's learnings as the business was evolving. My evolution and the business's evolution was probably running in parallel. And that's what uh, that's what happens with great people or great businesses.
1: Mm.
0: You know, the businesses and people are aligned. So the evolution complements, you know, people and, and, and product and, and, and commerce and business and creativity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Your the impression that you left on the shop floor for me was not only you just seeing absolute potential, which was incredibly inspiring, but you always had an openness at the time about your journey with Kelly and trying to conceive and have a family. And I wanted to start asking you about that because I've also obviously done my research on you and that time for you guys with the suggestions of meditation and all of that when trying to conceive, you've noted has sort of um, given you a space to source and find your own creativity.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because it's it's – well, I'll go back a step. I mean i'm ge- genuinely I'm a trusting person, Ariella. Mm. I do trust until I'm given a reason not to. Um, <laughs> but I-, I have always been comfortable um being uncomfortable, I guess, because you do find yourself through every challenge. so I-, I, just, I we didn't think we were the first, and we weren't the last couple to be going through, but it just seems to be a bit of a taboo. Topic for a lot of people. that don't like to um, talk about it, which I completely respect. We were fine talking about it because, um, yeah, we were. It was it. It was we we, we spent the better part of a decade. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do lean into my insecurities and and my challenges as a rule, um, mm. and that's where my growth has come from. So, yeah,
1: learning that openness from you. I think if you watched me as a director on set now, you would say, wow, you're so open. You talk to people about your own life to make them feel comfortable to then lean on trust and...
0: Yeah, it does build trust. That's a good point. It does really...
1: It came from you because I was 15 and you walked oh, in and you just told me.
0: Too much pressure. Come on. Arie. No, I'm being serious, <laughs> which
1: is why I really don't think that you have any awareness of how much you've impacted me and just the little things that you've learned along your journey that you just very naturally did like told me things that were well and truly out of my depth as a 15 year old but were so genuine and authentic to you and what you were going through at the time I have no idea even how we would talk about that because I'd be on the shop floor in heels like trying not to look uncomfortable (laughs) In front of you, like leaning from one side to another, probably with blisters up to my ears. but
0: Ariel, you were highly evolved, you were highly <laughs> successful, you were a high achiever, but you just were you I was you were on my level. that's for sure. you're highly intelligent.
1: But that um, yeah, I think that that genuine openness that came from you really early on has left a very remarkable I guess mark on me.
0: Ah, oh, it's very kind and that makes me feel really, really good. Yeah, that the whole, that whole period of my life definitely was, you know, a moment that I did pivot into another direction in terms of going inward mm. um, and the meditation, well, the meditation came about is because Kelly did so much IVF that we had to see a counsellor and the counsellor strongly suggested she'd learn meditation. She was a big yogi at the time. Um so she was doing yoga and then she had to meditate so I'd do the meditation courses with her and she just wasn't into it mm. but I did so many courses with her that I stuck with me and I loved it um and it stayed with me and I guess the more I meditated the more I became aware of who I was and what made me happy and what didn't make me happy um and where I wanted to be as a person and what I guess you know without sounding too dramatic but what are the secrets or laws to living a great life you know living this living this physical existence can be pretty um challenging but mm-hmm. I guess I'm I'm in desperate pursuit for the right mindset and that's why I've, I'm I'm not afraid of challenges because they're they're there to you know help you grow yeah so um, the meditation only, made me more aware of that and aware of not panicking. Um, when things perceived you know were perceived not to be going my way. I was like, that's okay. this is probably not, you know it's it's, it's teaching me something. And the IVF thing oh, it's yeah, it's it's they're, they're tough journeys, but we finally got there. I mean we we had we used surrogates in the states. And, you know, when I look back, oh my God, what a, what a great journey. What a, what great people to help us bring our children into, the, into this world um, and their lifelong relationships and, you know, my children are, are American. Mm. And we loved, we wouldn't have changed the journey. It was just perfect and, you know, these things sort of just create layers of layers of understanding and... Um, and, you know, a lot, lot of people sort of, you see people sort of say, oh, you know, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. It's like, yep, that's okay. <laughs> when you go through layers of pain, that helps you understand what it is you're trying to do. So for me I understood, oh, I want Kelly to really give birth to our children. Then I, you know, once you go through those levels of pain, you start to realise, hang on, it's a family that I want. So how how the children come into existence becomes not as important and that's how you change your mindset so you know a real pivotal moment in my life which you know yeah brings up a little bit of wow that was hard and um, sensitive to the challenges and the hurt and the pain and the rejection we were feeling but also you know the the resilience that it's that it's created um, is not lost on us and our mindset at the moment on how we approach other things.
1: Yeah, wow. So that process through meditation, is that where the idea of Shanna and the namesake brand, sort of was created?
0: Yeah, um, it, it did because I I mean we probably haven't done the best job of really telling the story of the brand in terms of how we use semi-precious Stones, and we don't really. When I say that, I mean we don't really. Um, when we're, we're not outwardly uh, communicating, you know, every week why, why we're using turquoise or why we're using onyx, it just seems to be one of the pillars. But yeah, I, I did, I did feel that once we we, we looked like we we're getting our children, I said, oh, I have to give back, and. What meditation did to me, I felt, hang on, wouldn't it be fantastic if everybody just went inward and slowed down hmm. and, and found moments where they can watch their thoughts and, and not judge them but just understand themselves better. So I definitely thought wouldn't it be great if I did a brand and it was sort of um, it led to an understanding of stillness so I guess that became a name of the brand. Um, but on a on a physical level, <clears throat> excuse me, on a physical level, I understood you know I really was clear on how I wanted the brand to to feel, which was quiet and and still um, and luxury. And um, I think that's 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 the challenge and that still remains the challenge. but I thought back then when I wanted to do the brand, I thought, oh, wellness and luxury at odds with themselves. And it just really hasn't, no one's been able to merge the two. And that's that's the challenge I have with my brand, merging the two worlds. Um, but, and it, but you just can't, and, you, and it's 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 definitely something that we're resolving every day because you can't exactly just, you know, get on social media with your brand and say, hey, everyone start meditating because um, <laughs> they're there with the jewellery. So you've we've got to find ways... To refine our story, refine our message, because um, it's important, because it's honest, because that's it's the truth. So that's the truth needs to be somehow interwoven into how we market our product. the The challenges lie more so, Ariel, with yeah, the world of meditation. It's it's more the unseen, so it's really in some point it's at odds with science. So if you hang on to a piece of onyx because it's 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 considered or it's it's been it's known to have properties that promote, you know, um calmness or in, it's it's really hard saying that if you can't prove it. <laughs> so yeah, so it's at odds with definitely modern medicine. Um so I'm conscious of that.
1: I love that. So how did you find the confidence to break beyond your experience as the connector, the oh, everything in your role at Scanlon? And you touched on so many different points of the business, so I don't want to wrap up. You were the GM, but I don't, I don't think I can really put my finger on one point of that business that you really ran. How did you find breaking out of that role of being under another brand and then starting your own?
0: I think I I definitely was yearning for something that I can control and I guess the moment where I probably began to feel disengaged with my career is when I couldn't control my destiny. So that's when I thought, okay, I do want to create something and I want to be able to control my destiny. Mm. Um, So it was, I mean, I've got a healthy level of confidence but I don't know something, I'll still have a go and I'll work it out so that was always that's always been evident um so it didn't didn't bother me um the problem is in luxury Ariel. it's just it's about execution and that needs that needs high levels of skill but it needs high levels of funding so <laughs> that took a lot of time and a lot of money <laughs> it's a pickle <laughs> um yeah it is but it's it's um it's mindset really i my mindset was evolving um because i had I had feelings of of, of wanting to, to express myself. So I paid attention to how I was feeling. Um, you know, so I remember being at odds with, oh, my God, I can't spend that kind of money and because that was my conditioning and I had to unlearn.
1: So your first product you launched was?
0: eyewear. I was, I was always thinking of jewellery or eyewear but eyewear because i lend it the eyewear sort of lends itself to the shapes that I was wanting to create. Um, and then I um, was looking at Italy. And then I um, met someone who helped me produce product out of Japan um, at really high levels.
1: And were you sketching? And then, um, yeah, sketching,
0: rendering. Um, it was probably more knowing the visual and working backwards. And then with eyewear, the factories they're basic. They're basically engineers, so they they there's a lot of tic-tacking with the factory on how they can produce and how they can execute. So you learn along the way. Wow. Um, but the eyewear was interesting because I enjoyed releasing the capsule, the collection first, tackling eyewear because I felt I felt and I still feel it's a category that. Doesn't, isn't really respected in in fashion. It's more like a bolt on an afterthought. So to go in and to try to make the best product in the world, um, sort of set the tone for the brand. So then, following on with fine jewellery, it just felt it felt it felt like we were building some sort of consistency, which I think is key to brand building. Is um, yeah, being consistent. So coming in with you know, potentially or possibly or arguably, the best frame in, in the world, and then coming in with 18 karat gold um, jewelry felt right. And now, of course, we do we do we do a plated category, but again, it's vermeil, which is higher end plating, which is all wants to sterling silver base with a minimum micron um, thickness of plating. And fourteen karat gold, so even our plating's higher end. So, um, yeah, eyewear sort of helped because it was. Now I know why um, no one really operates at that level in eyewear because it's really, <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard, um, and you know, because I was, I'm always disappointed to see you know you you, you your luxury brands and they're churning out you know eyewear frames for five hundred bucks and they're made. Not very well in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So all the materials and stuff, it's very sophisticated. A lot of the things you've mentioned, I know material by name but definitely wouldn't be able to identify them. How's your journey been diving into materials um, and research? Oh, just
0: and a lot of – with, with jewellery it's, it's really about getting to know the semi-precious stones that we're working with, um, um, you know, whether it's turquoise or onyx or topaz. But that that's really been the learning on how it performs when you you know when you're using them in a ring or in a bracelet, um, and that's that's been part of you know the beginnings of our dialogue with semi precious stones or crystals. You can talk. It's just it's been it's been um, yeah. It, that that's that's been the sort of convergence of these two worlds has been the interesting thing, but it's also been the challenging thing um, in terms of just. Uh, dialogue and, co- and a conversation with a customer um, because, you know, some brands, are, you know, really are outward in talking about the crystals and then they just feel or look like a Borrom Bay hippie brand. Um, <laughs> which we're all, you know, we're all hippies at heart. Um, but it, again, as I, as I said before, it's at, it's at odds with luxury. Kelly and I wanted to just keep learning about as many semi-precious stones, which are considered crystals, as possible. So gold's gold. That's you know, it's um, you know, it's a precious metal, and um, we cannot defend ourselves against the value that people see in gold. So we'll always be working with gold, and it helps us think about other categories as well because there's a strong perceived luxury when you start playing and playing around with gold.
1: Yeah. So does Kelly have a formal role at Shannabessum or is she just your wingman for life? A bit you know, of a she is, she
0: she just jumped in and helped <laughs> we had no choice. No, she's doing a lot of the, the the product with me. Um and just across other areas as well. Um she was she was like a she I met Kelly through fashion, so she's no stranger to, you know, production. She's very yeah. strong and and she's a you know, highly evolved um, product person and she's a, you know, very, very good designer as well.
1: So did you see a demand for this sort of product and offering or did you sort of it's more an exp- it started as more of an expression?
0: Uh, it, to be honest, it was probably both um, but, you know, it was really important. The story was really important in the beginning um, but I felt that there was... There is right now a a real need for a a quietening of the product, so a a slowing down of the product. So our product doesn't really work on, you know, speed to market.
1: Are you seeing those conversations happen with a lot of brands?
0: I think so. I mean I think it's just because you can't ignore the sustainability piece. Hmm. Um, You know, people just don't want to purchase product it's going to be landfill. So yeah, it's quite topical, but rightly so. Cause, you know, as customers, we need to stop buying what we don't what we don't need and we're not gonna wear. That's
1: really not great. Yeah, I read this little quote on Instagram the other day that was like, imagine if you weren't allowed to throw anything out, would you still buy that top? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we've just we've probably got to we've got to really um investigate and explore within ourselves just what retail therapy is and how it works and what we can buy mm. and what may serve the purpose of a retail fix as opposed to buying something that, you know, cost a few dollars to make. You know, and you think about that, you think that's less than a cup of coffee. And yeah. that's Yeah, that's not great. (laughs) That's not good. Someone's getting paid less than the price of a coffee for a piece of product.
1: Do you see very many brands and sort of creative influencing that movement enough? Do you think that it's coming out, the truths about all of this is coming out enough for the next generation?
0: I think it's a combination of customers voting with their feet, Ariel, to to be honest. I think it's got to start with us. It's always been about the customer. Um, But I feel... There's brands that are very authentic. Like us, we don't really jump up and down and say we're sustainable but we're using recycled gold and clearly, you know, we know where our stones come from, we know who's making our product and we know what they're getting paid mm-hmm. So, because we we make sure that it's all, you know, it's a fair price. Um, yeah, it's just some, some brands are missing the point and using it as marketing. I feel that it's it's more weighted towards the customer following through when they're making a purchase when they're making a purchase to understand who they're buying from what brand and what the brand represents so I, I feel brands don't really have to jump up and down about it but they have to make sure that they have their house in order so and it's up to the customer to investigate the brand there's a lot of reasons why you buy into a brand cool factor hmm. you know beauty Creativity, so it's, it's yeah, once customers hold brands to account, you know, if it happens enough times, brands will just start evolving into, you know, um, sourcing sustainably. Yeah. So that's how the change will come about. I feel it's customer-led. I hope so. Yeah.
1: So you have some friends in pretty high places in the fashion packs and that's, just something that you've always had. You've always been wonderfully well-connected and I know your friendships are incredible because you're such a good friend as a man yourself. So uh, that sounded so dumb I'm going to reword that
0: question. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> great friends and, look, you'll see as you get older and that's one thing I really would like to leave with your listeners. You know, when you're young, you know, you do attract you're attracted to d- different people for different reasons but I feel like I a lot of my friends that I have in fashion, I mean I love how you get older and I'm, just, I'm so inspired by the circle getting smaller and just hmm. far more high quality. But, you know, whether it's Josh Good or, or Christine Centenera, I mean these guys or Yasmin Soul, I mean I met them through the fashion industry and I guess we are all attracted to one another because we all, were extremely engaged in creativity and and fashion and how it was presented um, and who was who was who was at the forefront. Um, but I guess, yeah, you you, you sort of um, you attract people that represent who you are. So I guess we've grown together. A lot of a lot of my friends in fashion I've known for twenty years. Um, and, yeah, some of them have really found found their thing uh, and found their voice and have achieved. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm highly motivated um, mm. and I'm attracted to people that are highly motivated.
1: So you can see a lot of parallels in Christine's purpose with Wardrobe NYC and your own with Shanna Those sorts of conversations as friends and how you guys have evolved your brands together have, has that helped?
0: Yeah, it, ha- it has. I mean, Christine was our we've we fitted every frame on Christine. She was our fit model. Um, I guess we were talking about it at the same time. I mean, Josh and Christine were talking to me about wardrobe before they started it, and I was feeling the same. And that's why, I, you know, I did a frame at you know eighteen hundred dollars mm. because they were looking at the same thing. They were looking at things being timeless. And not disposable. Um, so yeah, we you, you're sharing ideas, and you know you either accept or reject them, and it does strengthen friendships when you have the same values. But we felt we felt this, and they were watching what I was doing, and I was watching what they were doing, and the collabs, um, yeah, they're important, and like I think collabs start from friendships, really. I mean. Our collaboration with Bill Henson started just really friends. I met Bill through the industry, um, through Scallon Theatre um, and also the whole OMA Rem Coolhouse collaboration. Um, Robert Buckingham introduced me to to them and that collaboration was incredible for us, for our confidence as creatives um, and also just our confidence to raise awareness and, you know, we're we, we noticed by the, you know, by a lot of architects who come into our store and have a look at the the piece that was designed by Rem Koolhaas, OMA.
1: You were doing collabs well before collabs were really, I mean now they're in the market and they're sort of expected. People see them popping up all the time and it just gauges new audiences and interests. But you were doing them forever ago, even when I first started, you were doing the Scanlon, Nan Golden and Erin Wasson collab. Where did that sort of come from, that you saw opportunity there and just went for it?
0: I think because as as creatives, you're inspired by other creative forms and other creative dialogues, whether it's film or architecture or fine arts photography. And I guess um, and Theatre had really strong ties with fine arts photography and they'd already done the collaboration with Bill. That was something that interests me in my mid-20s when, when it first came out. Um, mm-hmm. But I just found it fascinating how, oh, so a fashion brand can really tell their audience what, photogra- what photographer they like or what film director they like or what architect they like. That is the, that's the thing that really interested me. And I felt it was extremely credible and um, just nice to know. It's like you get to know a brand, you're getting to know what they like. Um, And, of course, I I loved the discriminating nature of the late 90s and Nan Golden is, you know, arguably one of the most important photographers of our time. Um, So to when our stylist Trevor Stones created the opportunity, I thought, oh, my God, this is great. This would be great for our brand. And it sort of speak, it was at that time it was really speaking to the fashion community about art. So it was just probably my attempt to keep the dialogue going with fine arts.
1: So when you went to market with Shanna Bessam, you had some pretty incredible faces um, wearing your eyewear. How did all that come about?
0: Um. I had a really good publicist in Paris mm. that... Um, Love that for you. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, but I, I felt, I think they were buying into a lot of those people were really buying into what we were trying to trying to do um, and what we were proposing. Um, we were really high end and, you know, we were proposing that our frame was the the, the most... Highly engineered, highest quality frame in the world. So, you know, um, a lot of those people that really wanted to support us, whether it was Colette or Leclerc, really, yeah, they they loved it. It's a good story for for them. Mm. And you know, Tilda, the whole Tilda Swinton thing was pretty fantastic. Um, she was quite interested in my Turkish Albanian background. She's an extremely curious. Highly evolved, highly intelligent <laughs> person, and um, yeah, she um was interested in my background and what we were doing, so she was supporting us f- for quite some time in the eyewear. There,
1: so what have you taken from all the years of you doing strategy, brand, HR, sales? for other people in your consulting and both more of a full-time role at Scanlan, and how has all that kind of culminated together to become the Shannon Bessam brand? What have you learned from your experiences and you're now funnelling into Shanna Bessam?
0: I think um, the single most important thing is honesty. Honesty on where you want your brand to go because what that does is really onboard the right people and... Some people jump off and I think that is not a bad thing because I think, yeah, staying in a role where you're not sure where it's going, you're not sure where the company's going, that probably wastes people's time, that wastes their time. Um, So I feel consistency, honesty, um, allowing people buy-in is super important um allowing people to
1: buy play in a role. energetically or buy in financially
0: I uh, know no, so I I've seen buying in emotionally and buying in True. um uh in terms of buying in skill level um, Yeah. or yeah and, and and being engaged but you know obviously knowing where the the vehicle's going then allows you to say well how can I actually help how can I help yeah. beyond what I'm what I'm doing what what can I do that's beyond my that could be beyond my role to help get this vehicle? I mean, I definitely and of course I'm sensitive to it now because we've got a small team, so we're all you know working above and beyond what we're sort of supposed to be doing because we're clear on where we want to be. You know, we we're committed to luxury. We're committed to this this way of presenting um, product and brand and retail. Um, to to the marketplace so we're only attracting high level people
1: there's sort of a trend at the moment obviously happening with entrepreneurship and everybody going freelance and working for themselves how are you finding hiring people that really do care as much as we care about our own businesses and brands
0: Oh, that's a really good that's a really good question and i think it's it's i think it's there's nothing more relevant now especially coming out of this pandemic um, where you know there's a real tightening of the labor market um i think you've i've always understood that people have choices so you know you've got to you've as an entrepreneur you've got to surround yourself with people that you trust for sure but you've got to understand what what their strengths are and allow them opportunity allow them to lean into their Areas of insecurity or things that they might not be good at, and you've got to be patient with that. I feel that it's about the right environment that will keep people. Yes, they will not care as much as you, but that's that's it. That's if you if you can't if you can't accept that, it's best you don't go into business. Um, <laughs> it's a truth. It, you just mm. got to be aware that they're not going to care as much as you do, and that's okay. You know, you've got to create an environment where they can be their best selves, because then they'll be happy, and you'll you'll be engaged. Um, Like a lot of our our small team, we're all growing as the business is growing. You know, because new ventures sometimes you don't know what you don't know, so you've just got to go in. But I think you've got to create the right environments for people to and bring out the best in them. Um, I mean, I was I'll never forget the opportunity I was given. Um, and I was allowed to make mistakes, um, but that also built trust and that only motivated me to want to give back continuously to the organisation I was working for. Um, So, yeah, that's the way around it. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's understood that, you know, staff will not care as much as a person that's founded a business or an owner of a business, but that's okay.
1: Hmm.
0: You've got to really develop skills in um, in managing people, hmm. managing talent and bringing out the best in people. That's, that's my message to a lot of the people that I've worked with within luxury. It's just, I just sometimes find though with with luxury and high-end fashion, it's just easier because you understand why they're there. They're not there because they're interested in accounting. <laughs> they're there for the product. Yeah. They're there for for fashion. We all love it. We love the creativity. We love the beauty. It's always it's always been about beauty. It's always been about creativity. It always will be. So once you understand that, that's what your that's what your team. That's why they're working for you. Then you know you've got to deliver on the promise, mm. and they'll be inspired.
1: What's driving you at the moment to further build Shanna Bessem, the brand?
0: I think the challenges of just trying to scale the business, mm. to be completely honest, um, and well, what's inspiring us the most is watching our customer, how they're behaving, um, what they're wearing, what they're buying, what they're not buying, how they're responding to it, the way they're wearing it, um, what else they're looking for for from us um, is really, really inspiring. Um, I'm inspired by our ability to create relationships um, via our online store, which I didn't feel we would be that far progressed, but clearly I'm not the only one saying this. Pandemic brought about necessities, and for us it was about you know acquiring customers online, um, which yeah I, I'm incredibly excited about, and never thought I would because we opened at 80 Collins Street, um, clearly our neighborhoods you know pretty cool, quite luxurious, yeah. you know Prada, Saint Laurent, Fendi are our neighbours, Golden Goose, um. And so that was really, in my mind, that was really the story. Our our the company we keep was was the company was the, the the audience we were really trying to attract. So then to to pivot and really go harder online has been challenging, but really for me now inspiring because we found our way, we found our thing. Because I found. I felt it was really noisy and too chatty but now it's like, well, we can still go out and say something as long as we've got something we have something to say. And, you know, obviously it being led by, you know, beautiful content, higher-end photography which obviously the thing that inspires me. So we found out we're and we're still resolving that as we speak but that's inspiring me, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Architecture inspires me. Art inspires me, Um, yeah, just like most creatives.
1: So a lot of your designs and inspirations are somewhat futuristic and you can see that from, for example, the pair that was on Tilda Swinton. So it's literally looking towards the future though. How are you feeling about the future, post-pandemic for the brand how you guys are going to roll on the internet with the web 3.0 coming and just opportunities and the way that the world's going to operate. I feel like if anyone knows or has insight about this, it's going to be you.
0: No, I think, <laughs> no, that's, uh, you're too kind. Um, first, I will say, you know, our designs are minimalist but they are, we also do look back. I mean a lot of our pieces are, you know, inspired by you know Ottoman architecture, of a certain time, you know, between twelfth and fourteenth century, so it was really quite minimalist. So that's why they will always look modern and futuristic. But yeah, I definitely, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, I'm really inspired by sci-fi, whether it's you know film, whether it's Kubrick or 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 Blade Runner. Um, I, I feel. We, we, because we've been forced to sort of throw ourselves into this world, it's it's given us confidence to be comfortable with not knowing. Mm. I'm probably more inspired in how the two worlds are merging. I mean, yeah, sort of, you know, we, we get customers, they want to ring us, they want to email us and they want to come in and see us. But they want to ring us and buy something on our website <laughs> and then they want to pick it up. That's sort of really interesting.
1: Yeah the, yeah, the customer journey's journey. getting. Yeah,
0: old, it so. is, and it's and again, <laughs> I'll say it. It's about them. So we watch we watch them, um, but it's also about how you can differentiate yourself. That's what inspires me. So that's where I'm probably keeping a close eye on technology. Um, is how best if it interests me if I could use it to tell my story. Um, clearly, a lot of the technology is used to reach audiences, but I want to tell my story. Um, because, you know, really, there is no better way than telling a story in a physical sense. That's why our stores will always be important. But it's how you sort of build you, it's how you build the online world around it. That's probably more inspiring. Our audience that follow us, um, that receive our EDMs and follow us on social media, they they're really enjoying the conversation and we're gonna keep going with that. Um, but whether it's, yeah, it's uh, the obvious ones are, yeah, obviously we'll start talking on different platforms like TikTok and so forth.
1: Are you going to start on TikTok?
0: Uh, oh, eventually, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You sort of understand, you, you, yeah, whatever's perceived to be uh, a younger platform, well, you got to remember every year they get older. <laughs> and then, so there, every year, That's very true. customers turning, you know, when they were 20 and then one, Five years later they're 25 and they've got a little more disposable income and they're beginning to get interested in luxury. So, yeah, you can't ignore any platform like TikTok. But there'll mm. they'll, they'll be more. I just, which I'm really inspired by a younger person at the moment. I think the world is in good hands.
1: How are you staying up to date at the moment?
0: I oh, just read, whether it's architectural books or, you know, you know, follow artists. Um, Are
1: there specific trades that you read? uh, Not really, not really.
0: I just, I love buying photography books. I love, you know, whether it's a book at the moment and I'm reading on Paula Reversi or um, uh, Nick Knight. But, yeah, I love just discovering, sometimes rediscovering um, photographers or artists. But that's just, that really is, I don't, Set aside specific time for that, and that just crosses my path. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I try to watch a film on my own, I have a date with myself, mm-hmm. and that sort of slows slows the process down and allows me to connect with things um, on a deeper level. So that's the it's only interesting time
1: doing things alone, isn't it? I, lo- I love it. I mean, with I love else.
0: there is nothing more than I, oh, I just love sitting in a cinema on my own watching a film.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So much space to think. Yeah. And just just connect and you
0: feel like what it, whatever that art form is, you just feel like, yeah, you don't have to explain anything, you don't have to talk to anybody and you just feel that that moment is honest. Mm. The art or the art form or the artist is talking to you.
1: You've always backed me to the hills and you wrote my college um, reference letter for me and have always been an incredible mentor. For people that don't necessarily have the opportunity that you and I had to just meet on the shop floor and gel, how would you recommend people source mentors to help them on their journeys?
0: Wow, that's a good question, isn't it?
1: It's so hard to do it authentically.
0: It is because like the... yeah. What what do you do now? You know you don't just yeah DM someone. someone. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, it's it's hard because I get them and just there's physically not enough hours in the day to respond to everyone, and to it's just easy for us, Ariel, because you know, yes, I did find you highly motivated and highly intelligent. I'm like, okay, so it's easy for me to open up <laughs> and give to someone that Thank is as motivated as you. Um, but I, how else would have you How else? I guess how else would have I seen that? Yeah, I I guess you got to write to them. But it's it's also if someone writes to me, I kind of want to see proof that they're that serious about the industry or the about our brand or you know our category that we operate in. So it's so it's going about and doing the things that might take a lot of time, but that shows that you're willing to sacrifice. That is the thing. So, in terms of the actual way they reach out to their potential mentors, I'm going to say I don't know. I, yeah, stalk them. I don't know. <laughs> but if you, I think, write to them. But write to them and say something, and show and give me some proof points that you've sacrificed, mm. and that you're willing to do something that someone else isn't to be the to, to get into something that you're interested in. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, yes,
1: absolutely. I mean I come are... from and
0: again it's probably my, you know, middle-class upbringing is didn't take anything for granted, had to work really hard um and would sacrifice to reach, you know, to achieve something or to to get to an outcome. Um and I feel that that's, you know, still that's those sort of values say something about the character of a person.
1: Mm. Absolutely, I feel like the days of offering to buy someone lunch are well and truly gone because creatives are running on such successful creatives are on such a high frequency. Like, you want to buy me lunch is really,
0: yeah, that's not. It's it's (laughs) good. It'll it'll be about can I yeah can I assist you? I'll can I assist you for a month? Yeah, and not and not um, you know take any money. I just want to be exposed to your creativity, your method. You know that would probably you think okay, well I can you know a lot of these creatives. Need people. They need help around studios or um, mm. around, yeah, ateliers or whatever they may be. What sort, of, whatever process of creativity they're in. But you, all, you're going to need help. You're always going to need help. So if someone says, "Listen, I've this is this is what I've done. This is what I've studied. Um, this I've done this sort of work. I want to work for you for a month for, for free." <laughs> or, or on want to help you two days yeah. a week for free. That shows that you're willing to sacrifice your time to get ahead.
1: So what's next for you, Shanna Bessam, the man and the brand? Oh,
0: God. What's next? Um, well, having a ball with our family, mm-hmm. just bi- enjoying the building of relationships with, you know, our children, my wife, our family. Um, Looking at other categories um, that fit into our our value system, our philosophy, I and mean, what customers want from us—that's that's interesting, and we're exploring new things there. Um, but yeah, just trying to enjoy the ride and not get too caught up into little things. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we're clear on where we want to go, but we want to enjoy ourselves. So we'll we'll take on new challenges all the time, but. Yeah, we're not saving lives, let's be honest. <laughs> so, it's not,
1: so it's not that serious. I'm glad we can admit that to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> People take it very seriously. No, we're
0: not. <laughs> so yeah, no, we just keep keep enjoying, keep challenging. Um, yeah. and yeah, really, I mean as a person I just want to be of service. I want to give back. I've had such a great career. I want to keep giving back to whoever's engaged with us at the moment, with the brand, myself personally. Um, If I can, yeah, if I can help them get to where they want to get to, that is Hmm. what I want to do as a person, improve lives. It's very idealistic but it's the truth.
1: I think that speaks volumes of why you offered to come on the podcast too.
0: Thank you, (laughs) I, I'm really wrong. I'm back winners so, you know. (laughs)
1: You're so sweet. And you've been a very integral part of my journey. So thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's been a pleasure. That brings me to the end of our episode with Shanna. If you loved this episode and Shanna's process to finding who he is and discovering his expression struck something in you, check out Shanna Bessem, the brand, spelled S-E-N-E-R-B-E-S-I-M. The product is gorgeous and holds so much integrity. We discussed tons of things in this episode and mention a lot of creatives. They're all listed in the show notes. If you found this episode of value, subscribe to process the podcast and leave a review. See you next Sunday.